Co-op Energy Talk. I'm Rachel Johnson, the Member Relations Manager here at Cherryland Electric Cooperative. And uh, today we are going to talk about solar energy, renewable energy, some programs we have here, and kind of what we see on, on the horizon with, with solar and renewables. And we have talked quite a bit about this topic. It is, however, particularly timely because we've seen some uh, rapid changes in the programs that we're offering. And so uh, joining me to discuss some of that is, of course, our trustee general manager, Tony Anderson. Hey, Tony. Good afternoon once again. Thank you for joining us. And in addition, we have Sam Hoag, who is also not new to the podcast. He's joined us before to talk about uh, this topic. Sam uh, works for Wolverine in uh, business origination. Happy to be back. And also works with Spartan Renewable Energy. So thank you for uh, joining us, Sam. I'm sure we will... uh, benefit from your expertise. So just some kind of brief context. We had a, uh, uh, about two years ago, 18 months ago or so, rethought how we enabled member distributed renewable generation and, and what kinds of programs we would offer for them. And we called that our trio of solar offerings. And it involved community solar, where a member could purchase into an array located in Cadillac. And in return for their purchase, they would receive credit for all of the output of however many shares they purchased at 10 cents a kilowatt hour. We also had a a net metering program where every kilowatt hour a member produced and used in their home directly offset their retail rate. But anything they produced in excess of what they used in their home, they could put back onto the grid and we would purchase it from them at 5.6 cents a kilowatt hour or our avoided cost. And then we had a, a rather new offering, which we called buy all, sell all where members could uh, build and sell all of the output of their array back to the cooperative at 10 cents a kilowatt hour, and they could build up to uh, one megawatt in size. And that trio of offerings was made available to all distribution co-op members who were served by a distribution co-op that's a member of the Wolverine family until we got up to 10 megawatts of new solar onto our system. That's about 250,000 homes, so that's a wide-ranging number of homes across a a large geographical area. Yep. And the program, it it got off to somewhat of a slow start, I think a little faster here in Cherryland Service Territory than some of the other co-op service territories. But what we saw this spring was it kind of just gained speed, and we ended up meeting that that 10-megawatt goal. And so the program closed, as was always the intention from the beginning. And we ended up going over that goal because there was applications in the pipeline, which to Wolverine's uh, credit, they, they honored. And I believe we ended up at 11 and a half megawatts. Yeah. So we, we closed that, effectively closed that program. Took us about a month to recalibrate and figure out what would be the next offering. And now we're, we're ready and available to take applications in the next offering. And um, as simply as possible, community solar, we still have it. It looks exactly like it did in the last program. Net metering, we still have it. It looks exactly like it did in the last program. The only thing we changed was the buy all, sell all. And the two specific changes we made was to bring down the price point at which we would purchase that output from 10 cents to six and a half cents, and also to decrease the max system size from one megawatt down to 100 kW. And, and those changes were very much in response to what we're seeing in the market and also kind of what we learned from this first offering. So to that end, I want to kind of talk through that original offering and how it went, what went well. You already mentioned the 11 and a half megawatts, but Sam, you had the ability to kind of see its impact throughout the Wolverine ser- service territory. How would you describe the overall impact of the program? Sure. I, I think the program is really seen as a, as a wild success. If you look at programs across utilities across the Midwest, no one did a voluntary program like, like we've done. And uh, some backdrop on that. 
first of all, the, the oversubscribed from 10 to 11 and a half megawatts, that was a consideration by Wolverine because we had two Spartan projects that we were rolling into the tariff and there was such interest in uh, the original 10 megawatts that we made a decision at the end that we didn't want the two Spartan projects to consume uh, capacity in that, in that 10 megawatts. So we expanded it so it was truly a full 10 megawatts of customer generated, uh, of customer generated solar. Some backdrop on the, specifically on the buy all sell all tariff, and it's important to realize uh, Wolverine views solar as a huge part of our future, and we're just now scratching the surface on it. And in an effort to up the learning curve and to get some uh, experience both developing it and uh, procuring it on a PPA basis, we thought, what a better test bed than our membership to do that. And because we're not a taxable entity, it made a lot of sense for to put it out there to our members who are, uh, you know, personal and, and business entities that pay taxes uh, to experiment with. And so we put that 10 cent uh, a kilowatt hour offering out there as an incentive to really get our feet wet in member generated solar and solar development because we do view it as a big part of our co-op. Uh, it is important to understand that, that we've, we've got a lot of feedback that the program changed. Uh, I always like to say the program filled up and so we view that as a wide success from the very start we said we were going to do 10 megawatts of this. Um, in the first year, we only had a handful of projects, one large one and a, a few small ones, some net metering. And then in the second year, we had uh, really, I, I view it as this summer, there's only three times you could build solar during this whole program life, which is three summers. You don't build solar in winter in northern Michigan. So when we were looking for our price target, we were saying, what's something that's probably a little low at the beginning probably just right in the middle and probably would be a little high if it reached its third year. So that 10 cent target really hit it bang on. So we're, we're pretty happy with how that went. Um, and so the next iteration really is just a reflection of what we view as what we can procure solar in the future. And as a, to remain cost competitive in renewable energy, we want to make sure what we're procuring from our members is comparable to what we can procure from a third party PPA. So it really reflects uh, a fairness to all 268,000 of the distribution members uh, of Wolverine um, to be able to get their energy competitively. And you mentioned other utilities in the Midwest. Is any other utility in the Midwest, do they have a bio-sell project? I've not heard of any. Very few, um, and very few offer an attractive rate, and, and very few do it through their members, which is what was very unique about that. Oddly enough, um, most utilities, especially the IOUs in Michigan, are, are kind of veering off of a net metering track where they offer retail net metering to do a buy all sell all at a at a lower rate that's that's really not attractive so the the suite of op options that we're offering going forward is really first in class two the ability to have community solar at a competitive rate the ability to do full retail net metering um, and the ability to do a buy all sell all for people who want certainty on a project that's larger than what you could do for net metering and none of these are mandated by the state. No. We're not required to, to offer any of these programs, and I think that's very important to note. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's a testament to us uh, as a co-op turning to our membership to help solve solutions or solve problems for us with, with member-generated solutions, and it really goes back to the, the, the kind of the member-owned model. Yeah, and so um, from my perspective at Cherryland, I felt like the program did, like, to your point too, did exactly what we were hoping it would do. Sure. And also did the right amount of what we were hoping it would do. So we, just some quick stats. We had um, 
from the start of the program, 14 new net metering projects. Because one of the one of the criticisms we got at the beginning was this concern that shifting the way we did net metering was going to somehow uh, tank net metering. But we we actually had 14 new net metering projects just since that program started. And that's 14 new net metering projects right. on top of how many did we have before that? About 45 or so. So we had net metering at full retail for 10, 12 years and only had 50 people partake. Mm-hmm. And then add, and, and added 14, yep. yeah. Yeah, and, and a very low number of KW of solar as well. Right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So that was the other thing I was going to point out. So we had added 14 new net metering projects. We added 12 new buy all, sell all projects, ranging in size from 7.7 KW all the way up to 1 megawatt. So really enabled kind of a variety of projects. We added 550 new community solar shares that our members receive credit for, mm-hmm. almost 90 participants, new participants in community solar. And the kind of total solar impact for us, we went from having about 0.4 megawatts of solar on our system when we started to about 2.8 yeah. um, as of, to, well, today, basically. So for us, I, I just think the program really did did what we expected it to do, which was kind of give this this shot into the local, um, local distributed renewable generation programs. But I also think we learned some things from it that helped to inform – the, the program we're now offering. Sure. Um, so clearly, I think when people just hear it off the top of their head, they hear, you went from 10 cents to six and a half cents. That sounds like a dramatic drop, but right. it didn't come out of nowhere. Yeah, no, I mean, when we were offering 10 cents, we had lots of people say that that wasn't high enough. And that was, you fast forward or you reverse back to about 2017, folks were saying, oh, none of this can get done at 10 cents. And then sure enough, midway through the program, it hit the right price point that that it a lot of it happened and that's our challenge as a power supplier is to always make sure we're hitting the most efficient opportunities at the time we're hitting them so for the next iteration which uh which to my knowledge has no expiration uh we're certain that at some point in time six and a half cents we'll have that same moment where we're going to get lots of applications and we're glad that that happens because that means that the market's efficient and we're getting the right price at the right time Will there be a lull before that six and a half cent hits on a buy all sell all? Perhaps there was a lull when that ten cents happened. There were only a handful of first movers in that first year. But we're confident in the next few years, especially in the as the investment tax credit uh, holds strong for two or three more years, that we'll see lots of projects in that area. And to your to your point before, there's still full retail net metering offered, and we're going to probably want to be one of the few utilities that still offers that in the state. And full retail net metering is, we're at 11.98 cents. So that means all the solar energy you use inside your home, you're going to save 12 cents. Mm -hmm. Yep. A full retail net metered project will always be, if it's sized right, your best bet on solar. Yep, Yep, absolutely. Um, So when we talk about how we price for solar, there are certain... um, uh, I don't know the right, word, the right word, but sometimes we kind of hear your, height, your rate should be higher. There should be a premium attached to solar. Sure. And I want to kind of unpack some of the reasons that people give for that so you guys have the opportunity to respond to it. So one of the, one of the main things we hear is that solar produces on peak. Mm-hmm. So it's producing at kind of the highest peak times and therefore should, should be priced accordingly. Sure. Jump into that and kind of help unpack it for me. That, that, uh, that is absolutely true, but it also has to be uh, – examined in the context of the utility that it's being provided to. So uh, peak energy obviously has a benefit, but it really only has a benefit if, you're, uh, if your 
at the mercy of baseload generation that cannot change. In the Wolverine portfolio, part of the reason why we have such a low avoided cost compared to some of our IOU peers is because we're not operating baseload generation that can't uh, that has no flexibility. We operate peaker plants. So while that value has a or while uh, that peak energy has a lot of value to folks that would otherwise have to procure that in the market, we we operate peaking facilities. So we can we can uh, you know absorb the ebbs and flows of that peak demand. So it you have to have a full snapshot on what that really is. And, and those the, peaking and plants are are gas plants for the yeah, listeners yeah. Who, who may not know. Sure, they're pri- primarily natural gas plants. Right. So Wolverine really operates a flexible generation fleet. And the net result of that is, one, low cost for energy for the members, but two, our ability to respond to those, those peaks and valleys in the generation curves uh, um, affordably. So uh, one unfortunate, I guess, uh, offshoot of that is our avoided costs are low. Mm-hmm. So for a developer, and that's why we don't see a lot of uh, kind of PERPA projects in our footprint because our avoided costs are low. And, and just to kind of make sure we say this as many times, and that benefits our entire membership because it protects our membership from um, the kind of the risk impact of not being prepared to to offset the higher pricing at peak. The other thing that you kind of hinted at, I thought you were going to go a different direction with it, but I do want to talk about it, is producing power at peak works really well if you are a utility who has load at peak. We are a primarily residential utility. And so one thing that means for us is like at 2 p.m. in the afternoon, we actually don't have a ton of load. We get load when people get home from work, right, get home from the kids' baseball games. Typically 7 p.m. is our average peak. And that doesn't coincide as nicely with with solar production as what, um, you know, maybe a, a large municipal utility that serves a lot of commercial and industrial consumers might have. It, it just kind of is what it is. But one of the one of the impacts of being a, a primarily residential rural utility is that we, we, we peak a little differently. Right. And and you see that as you as you look at the avoided costs for different utilities across the Midwest, you see different avoided costs. And really that avoided cost, if it's higher, it means they don't have the flexibility to meet those peak needs. And that's why solar is more valuable to them. Mm-hmm. And as you see utilities that have more flexible generation, their avoided costs or flexible and competitive generation you see that their avoided costs are lower. So having a low avoided cost might be bad news to a solar developer who's trying to develop in the Wolverine footprint, but it's great news to the 268,000 people who are, who are getting their energy from us. So another thing we hear when, when we get um, asked, why, why, can't, why isn't the price higher? Why isn't that, that six and a half cents, you know, 14 and a half cents or whatever? It, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually read you a quote. People, is this argument that we have less infrastructure cost with our net metering members? And so their, their argument is essentially that excess, quote, excess solar energy goes right to the neighbor's house at no added expense to the grid or utility. I've, I've, heard, I've heard that uh, argument dozens of times, um, and I've, I've given up on arguing about the physics of it. Uh, what I like to do is shift it to the market of it, and I, it's a lot easier to give an analogy with something other than electron. Let's say you like apples and you also have an apple tree. So you generally go to the supermarket to buy your apples, and then in the summer, all of a sudden, you have extra apples. And you think, oh, this is great. I'll go give it to my neighbor. It will be of no expense to them. Except they might have already bought their apples at the grocery store, and the grocery store probably already bought their apples to give to them. It's the same thing in utility. Well, technically, you could make the argument that that those electrons being generated might not be using portions of the distribution and transmission system. The reality is we've already produced the power for that neighbor 
and they've already bought it. And without a signal for us to say, uh, okay, I'm turning my air conditioner off, therefore my neighbor's going to get my power, we have no way to, to adjust that. So from a market perspective, it just doesn't work like that. Yeah, it's, the grid is already built. Right. So, and we have to pay for that. It's like saying, we're going to spend $2 million on this highway, but I'm going to use the alley to get downtown and save the highway. The highway's built. It's there. And, and it really gets back to why uh, the export portion of net metering has to be at avoided cost, because we've done the modeling to know when the sun mostly shines and, and how to schedule that into the market efficiently. What we don't have control of is when that individual decides to shut their air conditioner off or turn it back on or do something else that has a high load factor. We can't schedule for the things that we can't control or analyze. So that's why when you export power through net metering, so you're producing more than, uh, than you're using, that power has less value to us than, than the power that we can predict. And that was the whole genesis for the buy all sell all. Right. Because we would get predictable renewable energy right. into the grid all the time. Right. Whereas the, the net metering that is intermittent is not very helpful at all. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and speaking of that intermittency, to the extent that you still need the grid to be available when you're not producing, there's just all the costs that go into sure. maintaining what is, for maybe for these people seen as more of a storage facility, but it's still a storage yeah. facility you have to pay for to have available all the time. It's actually mm-hmm. a very efficient battery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. So the the last piece before I want to kind of just transition to talking about what we see going on in solar today, but we do hear this when we change the way we do rates with with these kind of smaller projects. When when you lower that rate, you destroy my ROI. We 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 hear that that feedback. So, in fact, I just had a conversation with someone last week. Boy, but that will destroy my ROI. How do you how, kind of what do you, what are your views on that, and and how do you respond? Are you trying to save the environment, or are you trying to make money? Is, is my first response. And then in that scenario, they're obviously trying to make money. And my responsibility is to 35,000 Cherryland members, and I have to get them the lowest price possible. I can't worry about you as the individual solar installer, the profits you're going to make for your livelihood. That That is not in my realm of concern because I have to keep my costs as affordable as possible. That, that's a little harsh, that's a little rough, but that's, that's my thought process. Mm-hmm. It, the, the same is true at Wolverine. We are not in the business of, of keeping installers busy. Un- unfortunately, we're in the business of, com- of procuring the most competitive power supply and the power supply that corresponds to what folks mm-hmm. want to have. And part of the reason that Wolverine and, and our, uh, our distribution members like Cherryland have such a strong renewable portfolio is that's what the members wanted, and we, we went out and we procured it competitively. I think the, the number one way folks could argue uh, about more renewable programs is saying we, we want more, more renewable energy in general. And then if we hear that feedback coming up through democratically run uh, distribution members, we'll go out and procure it, which is the same reason we're at uh, industry-leading renewable energy rate in Michigan. And then look back at the last 10, 15 years, maybe even a little longer. We, we've had net metering for a long time, and we left it at full retail. If you use the energy inside your home, you save the full retail price. You could put it on the grid, and you'd, you'd get the full retail price. We went about that system voluntarily for more than 10 years, 15 years, whatever the number is, and we got 50 people to, produ- to produce energy at that level. 
And in that time, uh, well, just before that time, Traverse City beat, built one windmill. So you can go back, before we started Buy All, Sell All, you can go back 20 years, and we've got one windmill in our region and less than a half a megawatt of solar in our region over a 15-year period when we're offering the highest prices we've ever offered. And we got zero results. When the utilities get involved and Wolverine gets more involved, all of a sudden we've got over almost 2.5 megawatts on the Cherryland system and 11.5 megawatts uh, across the Wolverine system. So we made a massive improvement in our renewable energy. And for some reason, we're, we should apologize for that. Or some people think we should apologize for that. And I refuse to apologize for that. We need to be proud of that. We made great strides in a short time. Yeah, absolutely. And the other, when, when, when the ROI thing comes up, another thing I, I do think it's important for us to kind of point out about our programs, because it's, it is unique, I think, we offer contracts. Mm-hmm. And so while I, while I, while I 100% agree with, with what you're saying, that I mean, we, we work at cost for our members. We don't profit off our members. It wouldn't be right if we are bu- building in, you know, a profit mechanism for someone else or our other members to profit off of each other. However, we do make sure that if you are making an investment today, you know the exact rate you're going to get and, and we'll guarantee it for you for a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that is our responsibility when it comes to ROI. And Let me give you good information so when you make this decision, we don't rip the rug out from under you. And we did that with all our traditional, mm-hmm. our, our original net metering customers. Yes. We, we guaranteed their rate for the life of that system. We could have pulled the rug out from under them and said, no, we're, we're not going to buy that at full retail anymore. Even though we've been doing it for 10 years, we don't have to do it anymore, and we're not going to. We did not do that. We honored the price that they were expecting. Yeah, and to be clear, no utility across the state offers full retail export energy now, and including the Wolverine and the Wolverine distribution members. Um, and in the future, no Wolverine or no uh, other utility is going to be offering full retail reimbursement at all for net metering. They're, they're all shifting to a different model, and we're committed to keeping that in place. So I want, we don't have a ton of time left, but I do want to, I want to spend some time talking about this. We, right now, solar makes up maybe like 1% of our total portfolio, I, something in that number range. Um, we know, we do know, you, to your point, you said if members want more, they should tell us. They have told us. We know yep. they want more. Uh, so what is the, kind of what is Wolverine doing to get us past that 1% and, and what can we expect in terms of price points and what's the best way for us to rapidly expand the, renew, the, the solar in our portfolio? Sure. Um, the, I would say the biggest roadblock to, to more solar in Michigan right now is first and foremost cost. When you look at the when you look at the cheapest form of renewable energy that can be deployed, uh, you know, regionally, it still is wind by a landslide, probably by a factor of 50% cheaper than solar right now. Now, we take 100-year looks at things, and that's why we're starting to scratch the surface on solar now. We, also, we know that the number of wind sites available are limited. Uh, the ability to increase our renewable portfolios just by doing more and more wind projects is is that's not feasible on a 50 to 100 year time horizon. And we know solar is going to continue to have uh, cost reductions and is just simply easier to develop. That being said, not a lot of solar has been developed in Michigan. There really aren't examples of large scale projects. There's a, there's a 20 megawatt project on Lansing Border Water and Light, and there's a 50 megawatt project on DTE. Aside from that, you're looking at all projects that are under 10 megawatts. So when we make our 
large-scale procurement decisions, we're typically looking at 50-plus megawatts, similar to our wind our, uh, wind farms that we've invested in. So we're, we're reviewing those proposals all the time, um, but, and we're also kind of fact-checking to make sure they're real. But we, we're very much of the opinion that solar is going to be a big part of our, our generation portfolio going forward because we're even seeing the wind developers shifting more to solar because mm-hmm. – no pun intended, they're facing major headwinds in getting these things developed. So You were waiting for the chance to yeah, grab right. that, weren't you? Yeah, I, You're I, welcome. I've been, hel- I've been holding on to that one a long time. <laughs> and, and, I mean, not in Michigan, but I know we're really seeing some incredibly competitive pricing for, for solar at scale. Price points that... Below wait, three oh, cents. Yeah, price points okay. that make six and a half cents look yep. high. The one thing we won't be Twice able to change high. about our footprint, however, is the solar profile here. Yeah. Um, while the, what's really enabling more solar in Michigan is, are the cost reductions in the product itself. So uh, PV particularly has, has seen iterations of having itself over the last 10 years, which is, which is great. And that's why you're starting to see solar in northern climates. And uh, to the advantage of the developers, there's not a lot of development here. Uh, so it's a bit of a clean slate. The, the offshoot of that is we are facing probably some of the same issues that the southwest states faced when solar became feasible in their areas, things like zoning, things like uh, property tax treatment. So uh, a, lot of these, a lot of these issues are, are getting kind of fought for the very first time in Michigan, and that's why we're seeing a bit of a sluggish pace of solar development. And a lot of that really uh, contributed to why we did this initial buy-all-sell-all program from a from a utility or a power supplier standpoint, we knew this product was uh, was going to be part of the portfolio in the future. And if we were to simply wait around for large scale developers to have these fights, we might be waiting two or three years before we start to get that first solar in our portfolio. So we we turned to our members and we turned to a really innovative program uh, to get the first 10 megawatts online, and we're really happy with how it went. Mm-hmm. And we would have never got to 10 megawatts with traditional net metering. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because it, it took 15 years, like I said before, to get not even a half a megawatt. But it does seem like yep. we're, we're closer to the sweet spot where we can start to see some significant development Sure. It, 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 at scale. Because what I look at is, um, I mean, certainly we want to enable the homeowner for whom this is important to, to do it. Mm-hmm. But when you ask me what like, the role of the utility is, it's to get my entire membership to their clean energy goals as rapidly as possible at the lowest possible cost point. Sure. So what I want, what I personally want as a Cherryland member is for you to come back to me in three years and say, hey, good news. I found 150 megawatts of solar that I'm going to be able to get for you at, you know, four cents, three cents. I don't I don't know what that number is. And it's, it's going to... Once we bring that online, I'm going to take you from 1% to 10% quickly. That, that to me, is where I hope to see us go. And that's exactly what we've seen with wind. Yep. You know, I seem to be the historian of the day. but We are um, I tenured. The, yeah, I am the older one. Uh, but if you go back 15 years ago, I had everybody with a little windmill in my office wanting a good rate so they could put up windmills in people's backyards. And as we went to commercial scale wind and wind became bigger and more and more wind farms, I don't talk to those guys anymore. They're gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we don't we don't have a ton of time left because we are ha- obviously had more to talk. I was so sure since we talked about these things before, we'd run out of things to say, but we filled up 30 minutes really, really quickly. Do you have any last thoughts that you want to share before I, we're not going to do fun facts. I've got a different thing we're going to do, but any last things you didn't get to, we didn't talk about? I, I just want people to remember that no. We do not have to offer solar programs. If we wanted to kill solar, we could just stop doing solar. We could kill solar. We choose not to kill solar. 
Tony's smarting a little bit because um, there have been a few people who have accused him of killing Solar. And I'm here to tell you, Tony, I do not believe you are killing Solar. I, and to your point too, Sam, I think we should be very proud of what we've done and not make it seem like that's where we're ending either. I think this Absolutely. new program is just as innovative as the last program because it continues to have this trio approach. I think the work that we're doing, kind of looking at what is, what is the long-term future with um, utility-scale development, all, all the, the co-ops are still leading the way, in my opinion, in renewables and in solar. We have thousands of community solar panels available for uh, members to take advantage of. Mm -hmm. yep. Thousands. And we're building more. Yes, yeah. I know. I, I, my my uh, final thought on it is uh, there is no so, there is no crisis in the solar industry right now. I, all things are trending very favorably. The uh, tariffs that have been introduced are not having as big of an impact as we thought. The investment tax credit um, uh, rulings have been more favorable to developers, and it's becoming clearer and clearer that uh, our future is bright. There you go. There you uh, go. I, I got the headwinds in, and our future and is bright. There haven't battery prices dropped as well? Yeah. So I, if, I, pe if, be, if people wanted to cut us out, they could buy batteries and just disconnect from the grid. Yeah, I think you'll and go see, about their business. Yeah, I think you'll see. Uh, I think especially some of the uh, folks that, uh, especially on the other utilities that might have had shorter initial buy-all-sell-all contracts, you'll see them going to batteries in the next uh, five to ten years as those become more viable options. I love the grid. I, I just hope you guys keep it going even if everybody else defects because I, I just love the convenience. Oh, those battery users will still use the grid. I'm, I'm, I'm super not a millennial, they, apparently. They all do today. So uh, here we go. Instead of a fun fact, I'm going to ask you to finish this sentence. In 10 years, I believe solar will be... Will be done on a larger scale than it is today, and we will not have small installers knocking on my door. Okay, there you heard it first from Tony. And Sam, in 10 years, solar will be... Way cheaper than 6.5 cents on a 100 kW project. Oh, I like that one. I believe in 10 years, solar will not be the topic of a podcast because it will, we'll be moving on to new technologies and new things. Well, thank you both for taking the time to sit down and talk about this and um, continue to keep our membership informed about what, what we see and what we're working on. Thank you.